Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 19, verses 19 through 25. Again, Isaiah 19, 19 through 25. I'll be reading from the ESV. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar to the Lord and its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and will worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, and a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Have you guys ever seen a chalk artist? Not like the ones that do it on the sidewalk, like that do the like, 3D things that make everybody nervous and stuff. Like, like up on like a screen or something, like a big... Anybody ever seen a chalk artist do something like that? Okay, so um, <clears throat> back in the day when I was doing youth ministry, which seems like forever ago, but anyway, um, there was, there was kind of this, this big name on the scene as far as chalk art goes, and his name was Ben Glenn, the chalk guy. Some of does, does anybody, there, I say, I think there's probably a few of you that have seen Ben Glenn, the chalk guy, because he was all about fun in the sun and great escape, so if you ever went, like, there's a chance you probably saw this guy. Um, anyway, but he was, like, he, he's still speaking, he's still doing this as a living, if you wondered what happened to him, but he's still around, and he does a lot of teacher's workshops and, and stuff like that, he works in education, a whole bunch, but uh, he's a Christian speaker, a Christian artist, if you will, and um, he would get up and he would do this talk. He'd talk, kind of give his testimony, talk about his life, all different kinds of things. And, um, and he'd have this big, he uses a bed sheet, big black bed sheet. Uh, I don't know why people have b- black bed sheets, by the way, but they make those in case you need one. Um, so anyway, but he'd get up and he'd just start talking and he'd just kind of be like scribbling around. And you had no idea what he was up to, really. He just, it looked like he was just almost kind of, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but... Um, and then he'd get to the end, and he would just, like, smudge a few things, and it would all make sense. So I think I've got a couple of pictures. This is kind of how—sometimes it would start, like, something like this. And that's just all, like, yellow and then orange and then a little bit of, like, blue or something like that. And so he'd just kind of go, and then, and then 30 seconds later, it would look a little bit like that. And you're like, oh, okay, I know exactly where he's going. I've got this— I've got this figured out. I, I know this guy's routine now. I've seen him enough times. And I could kind of start predicting. And then, like 30 seconds later, I, oh, no, that's not what I thought he was going to do. I has, uh, but he would do, he'd do this, and you guys have seen him, all in about, you know, two to five minutes maybe. He'd get this whole thing done. Um, and just, you know, as he's sharing his story, this one was about uh, being the light of the world and, and, and how we've called to be the light. And there you go, you get a lighthouse and all that stuff. But... Really, really uh, a, a cool guy, and uh, there's, there's videos on, him of, of, on YouTube if you ever, you, you want to watch it, but um, some, sometimes it's hard to know what the artist is up to as they're doing their project. Um, 
You know, maybe you've gotten to see a part of the masterpiece, but, but you don't know fully yet. And, and, and so in our sermon this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at a man who had been around the artist uh, enough uh, to, to, for him to think he knew how things should go and what should happen. He, he thought he knew. Um, and, and, and we're going to learn this morning. He misunderstood the heart of the artist. He misunderstood. And, and so we're, we're beginning a series. We're finished with Ephesians 2. And, and we're starting a new series uh, on the, the, the minor prophets of the Old Testament. <clears throat> and um, all of those different prophets are going to learn something from, from the artist. They're going to learn something that, different than they thought they knew. Um, and, and, our, and our subject today is, is no exception. Uh, his name is Jonah, and he is the most famous of the minor prophets. Uh, and and it, Jonah is an incredible story uh, that teaches us all about God. And, uh, and it's a place where we get to see the heart of the artist working out a, a masterpiece that, that no one could have guessed. And so let's pray as we begin our time together. Father, this morning we recognize that you are the artist, you are the creator, and and I ask that you would would give us in this time an understanding of of more of what you are doing and what you have done uh, as we see glimpses, and and we get to see a big glimpse this morning in Jonah of what you are up to and, and get to see the heart of the artist. May we hear your truth this morning. May it make all the difference. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we're going to do something a little bit different th- this morning. I, I, wa- I want to spend some time introducing the book uh, and, and then the series that we're going to uh, start. And then we're going to get into the story a little bit. And we're going to do all that before we read our passage. So if you've already turned there, that's great. Just hold it. We'll get to it here in a few minutes. But but I want you to keep in mind the passage that Brian just read uh, a minute ago because it's really a hint to, to something incredible that God is up to that, that nobody could foresee, that nobody could foresee. So I'm, I'm going to give you a fuller introduction into the Minor Prophets uh, next week. There's, there's a lot I need to tell you. But, so we're doing this one because you don't need as much of that uh, to, talk, to talk about Jonah. So... But for now, just, just kind of know this, that um, minor prophets are called minor prophets, not because of their significance, but because of the, 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 the depth of their book. It's a, they write, they've written shorter, shorter books. And so the major prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, the, you know, those are really long, lots and lots of chapters. And, and so our minor prophets are, are smaller and, and maybe more specific. Um, and so they're, they're placed at the end of history, uh, of, of Israel and, and the end of the history of, of Judah as nations before they are conquered. Um, and, and, and sometimes they're in the middle of them being conquered. Sometimes it's right after they're conquered and then they're in captivity. And there's even a couple that are, that are after they come back from captivity. So, so they all are in the span of a couple hundred years, uh, but, but, but doing very different things. And so we'll, we'll get to see all of them. And so uh, I would say that many people, most people, including myself, tend to neglect the minor prophets um, because their, their messages, if you're familiar, are, are oftentimes feel too repetitive. It's like, okay, stop sinning, 
God is angry, he's going to destroy you, judgment is coming. Like, okay, I don't need to read these books, I, I got that. that. Like, let's just move on through, through those. But, um, there's a lot that, we've, that we're missing if that's all, it's all we think about as far as the minor prophets. And so, um, you know, as one scholar said, they're in the Bible, and they're for you and for me, so there must be something in there that you need to learn from them. So we might as well study them uh, and know what they're about. Um, and so that's our challenge for the, for the next couple of months because um, I, I think we too often ne- neglect these, these little books. Um, and, and so we're going to explore them. We're going to see what God would have for us in them. And so what I decided to do was start with the most obvious one because, you know, let's be honest. If I said, hey, name a minor prophet— Jonah was probably the first one that would come to your mind. It just is. I don't know. Uh, it just is. You know, and if I said, hey, tell me one lesson, one story from any of the minor prophets, probably the story I'm going to get is the one out of Jonah. Um, and the reason I think is because we all had Sunday school teachers, or most of us had Sunday school teachers, and we, you know, cut them out, and we colored big fish, and we, you know, went to VBS, and we sang the songs about Jonah, and so, you probably remember learning about a prophet who tried to run from God and who got swallowed up and then spit back on dry land. And while um, it is an incredible story and it makes for great lessons for kids, he- hear me just now say that's not the main lesson. That's not the main point uh, that we need to take from Jonah is the, the running and getting swallowed by a fish thing. Uh, there's a, a wonderful um, pastor, speaker, author, theologian by the name of Tim Keller, and he, wow, I didn't see that coming. Um, he, he passed away this weekend. Um, I'm sorry. But, but he, he actually wrote a book on Jonah, and, and he argues in that book that that Jonah is the clearest presentation of the gospel in the whole, in the whole Old Testament. He says if you, if you read the whole Old Testament, the place you're going to know the most about the gospel is from the book of Jonah. Um, and, and, and so it really is a, a, a different way that we need to, to read this book than just about a whale. So, um, so, so yeah, let me, let me just kind of start. I'll tell you a little bit about the book. I'll give you a quick overview uh, of the story, just to refresh your memory, because I'm sure you're, you're familiar with most of it. So, uh, Jonah was a prophet. Oh, there was one. I was waiting for the ooh. ooh. Just testing if you knew the VeggieTales song. So, uh, <laughs> he was a prophet, and he never really got it. Um, but he was in the northern kingdom uh, of Israel uh, uh, during the time of, a, of a, a king named Jeroboam II. And Jeroboam uh, was a bad guy. And, and we know that Jeroboam was, uh, was during the time of kind of 793 B.C. to 753 B.C. So there's a kind of a 40-year span uh, in there uh, that we know he must have been. And, and during those times, so, so we're talking about 800 years before Jesus, okay? So, you know, because it works backwards with B.C. So we're, we're talking about 800 years before Jesus in Israel, and Israel is bad. They've gone totally bad. They're not good. They're not ever going to be good. But 
you know, K- King Jeroboam II is considered one of the worst. Maybe not the worst, but, but he's up in the top couple. So it, it was kind of a surprising time in history because God is actually allowing Israel to prosper. And they're growing as a nation. They're acquiring land. And they're, um, you know, they're not getting beat up on by anybody. And things are going well in Israel. And we don't know why other than Jonah was there, seems like. And, and he seems to have played a role in that. Um, but so they have this national enemy who's growing in power day by day, uh, and, and they were called Assyria, Assyria. Assyria is the absolute worst, okay? You just can remember that forever. Assyria is bad, okay? Uh, there are some famous archaeological inscriptions by Assyrian kings showing how they treated their enemies, and it just wouldn't have been proper for me to show you some of those pictures because they're grotesque and terrible, um, they, they're just graphic. And, and um, the, the Assyrians are, are, we believe that they are the ones who invented crucifixion. Uh, so that just gives you a little bit of a glimpse into who they were. Uh, they would let their soldiers torment surrendered armies. And there's, you know, they wrote all in all these books and kind of joking about how they, you know, surrendered and then they cut all their arms off and weird things. And they were just really, really terrible people. Um, so obviously Israel was not a big fan. They did not get along with one another. And you probably remember the story that um, God calls to Jonah and he says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them about their evilness. I want you to tell them uh, about their sin. And, and Jonah doesn't want to do that, right? We know this story. And, and so he decides not only do I refuse to go, uh, he's going to try and run away. Run away as far as he knows how to try to run away, he says, from the face of God. And so he gets on a ship and he sails for Tarshish, if you guys remember the story. Um, and it's on the very far side of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and so it almost would be like for us to say, I'm going to Timbuktu. Like Tarshish was the place as far away as anybody could think of to go. That's what he decides to go and do. Um, and so he's on the boat. And if you're thinking about hinting at Jesus, which the minor prophets do, uh, think about this part of the story. They're on the boat. It's a, God sends a terrible storm and everyone is panicking except for Jonah, who is fast asleep in the bottom of the ship. Why? It says that God has put him in a deep sleep. We're not sure, but the, the captain of the ship is like, where is Jonah? Let's, and so he goes and he has to wake the guy up and he's like, do you not care that we are perishing? Actually, no, wait, that's the disciples saying that to Jesus. He says, wake up, you sleeper, if you remember from your King James. Wake up, you sleeper. You know, basically, get up, sleepyhead. It's, it's time to panic. It's bad. And he says, pray to your God because we're about to die. So maybe your God can do something. We've all prayed to ours. Nothing has worked so far. Right? And then you remember the, the sailors are asking him, hey, why are you here? What's going on? Let's see who's at fault. And they cast lots. It falls to Jonah. And they say, all right, Jonah, it's time to confess. What did you do? And he kind of tells them this story. And he says, look, if you throw me overboard, the ship, the, the ship will be saved. The storm will stop and all of that stuff. And so um, uh, the, the sailors are actually gracious and merciful to Jonah. And they say, well, no, we're not going to kill you. That would be terrible. We're, we'll, we'll try to, you know, ride this out. And they can't. And eventually they say, okay, we're going to throw you over, but, but please pray to your God that he doesn't 
judge us for this because you told us to and it's our last resort and, and, and we want to be innocent here. So, so they throw them over, right? And, and the storm stops immediately. And it says that they start to praise and pray to God and make vows to him. And, and they're converted. They're converted to God by what they see happen. And, and so this is this incredible moment where God shows mercy to these sailors. Um, and then it's, uh, right, as soon as that happens, then it says that, that he is swallowed, that God sends a fish to swallow Jonah. Uh, and so now, let me just clear one thing up, because I heard it kind of as a kid in one way, and it's, it's not correct. But that is, just because it says the word fish doesn't mean it can't be a whale. Okay, so in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, there's no distinction like that. Like, creatures that live in the sea are fish. It doesn't make it scientifically inaccurate. There's no, like, aha, apologetic moment of error in the Bible. It's just talking about sea creatures. Okay, so a sea creature came and took Jonah. Um, so it could have been a really big fish, you know. There's, there's stories of catfish being big enough that they can swallow people. I don't think that's what it was. But it's possible there was something like that. It could have been a whale because, in fact, in the Mediterranean Sea, you have two really large whales that live there year-round. The first, uh, some of you guys are familiar, is called a sperm whale. And it actually has teeth. I think it belongs to the porpoise category. It's not a true whale like the baleens or whatever they call them. I'm not a scientist, but... There's different types of whales, right? So there's a, a sperm whale. It's the largest of, of the teeth, teethed whales. Is that a toothed whales? I'm not sure. Um, they can be uh, 60 feet long. They can weigh 40 tons. And they live, again, in the Mediterranean year-round. But then there's a bigger whale, uh, one that's even more impressive. It's called the fin whale. And if you know about the fin whale, it's the second largest whale of all. So there's the blue whale. It's the biggest. This one's just barely smaller, called the fin whale. And it can grow to over 80 feet long and weigh 80 tons. So we're talking about a big creature. Um, It could be that. We don't know for sure. Um, But what we do know is that in the whale, at some point, Jonah says, hey, I've really made a mess of this. God, yeah, I shouldn't have done this. I'm so sorry. And, you know, basically, if you'll bring me back, I'll fix it. And God allow, shows mercy to him and allows that to happen. And you know the story. After three days, he spits him up on the land. Um, from there, Jonah's going to go to Nineveh. He's going to do what he said he would do. He spends several days kind of walking around the city and talking to people. And eventually the king hears this bad report like, hey, the Lord is going to destroy the city um, in, in 40 days and all that stuff. And everyone is shaken. And in fact, they start to respond. And so the king says, look, we're sorry, we'll repent, everybody mourn and fast, including the cattle, including our livestock. Um, so the whole, whole area, 120,000 people, they're repenting and praying and asking for forgiveness. They actually hear Jonah's message from God, and they respond. And so at the end of chapter 3, God says, hey, look, I'm not going to destroy the city anymore because they have, re- they have repented. I'm going to spare them. How does Jonah respond to this news that God is going to show mercy to 120,000 people? He's angry, isn't he? He's so angry. In fact, he's so angry, he says, God, just kill me. I just would rather die than see you show mercy to these people. So he storms out, right? You know the story. He storms out into the desert, and he says, I'm going to get up on a high hill. Maybe they'll mess up, and God's going to, you know, firebomb the place, and and I'm going to watch their destruction. So he gets up there, and he's just sitting, waiting to see what's going to happen. 
God never does. God never destroys the city. And so then there's the weirdest part of the whole book, which is what I left for us to read because I know you'll like it, right? Jonah 4, verses 5 through 11. Let's read that together. Jonah 4, 5 through 11. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Uh, but when day came up the next, or sorry, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed, appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, "It is better for me to die than to live." But God said to Jonah, "Do you do well to be angry for the plant?" Meaning. Do you have a right to be angry? That's, that's what he's asking here. Do you have a right to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I, I do have a right to be angry. Angry enough to die. And this is weird stuff, right? And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and all so much cattle? That's the end of the book, right? If you're looking in your Bible, that's the end of the book. And you go, wait, there must be a page missing. There must be, where, where does the story continue? And it doesn't. So, so here's the weird story, right? God provides a plant for shade, and then he provides a worm to eat the plant, all to show Jonah how ridiculous he is. And finally, he says this amazing thing. Jonah, you care more about this dumb little plant than you do about the lives of 120,000 people. And that's how the book ends. No resolution. We don't know what happens. Because we know the story, we can be optimistic and think, okay, Jonah learned his lesson and went back and, you know, wrote the story down uh, for us so that we could all learn the same lesson that he did. Maybe that's what we hope. So I mentioned that, that Jonah is not about the fish thing, not about the swallowing thing. Even though that's the part that we remember most about the story of Jonah, the book is about God. Right? Jonah's not the hero. God is the hero of the story. The, the book is about us getting a little glimpse into what the artist is doing, but in what the artist is doing. So we, we get a little bit of insight into the artist in the middle of his painting, in the middle, he's, he's telling us, this is what's coming. This is what I'm doing. I'm just, I want you to see a piece here. And so I know this breaks all the rules of preaching, uh, of only, you know, ever giving three points. But there's actually four things that I, I think I want to share with you that we need to know about this story. And, and so they're all connected. So maybe we'll just say there's one really long point with subpoints, if that makes you feel better. But... They're all worth mentioning and, 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 and for our benefit here. And so the first thing is this. The, the theme of Jonah is found in chapter 2, verse 9. And, and Jonah is praying to God. It's in the middle of, you know, he's in the whale or wherever, the fish. And he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So 
Don't think of whale and Jonah. Think Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the big idea here of this story. And, and it means a whole lot of things, right? It can mean many things. But we just have to understand that it's God. He is the one who controls salvation. He's in charge of it. It's his game. It's his, right? It, he, he owns it. It belongs to him. And, and so when we say that, we mean that God is sovereign, Right? There, are, there are several places in this book where, where God specifically acts, God specifically does something, where, where God provides, where, where he sends a storm, where he sends a fish, where he sends a plant, or sends a worm, or all the things. Right? He's specifically in action, and he's going to accomplish his plans. So God is in control of everything, and he is directing all the events of the book, all the events of history, to bring about his plan of salvation. This is his story. And so you can't create your own plan of salvation. You can't reject God's plan, meaning I don't really like the way you've got this set up. I think there's a better way. See, Jonah, like all of us, had an idea of what God's plan should look like. I know that the way the painting should be in the end, I know the way we're going to get there. I, I, I got this. I can take care of it. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. This is God's plan. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And until we surrender to his plan the way he wants to do it, then we end up living our lives like Jonah, running from the Lord in various different ways. Okay, second thing is this. God is gracious and merciful. And we hear that a lot, right? We just spent the last five weeks in Ephesians 2 where we we hopefully heard that, right? God is gracious and merciful and amazing. And, but I want you to remember it because, and this is part of why we started with Jonah, because we're going to do, for the next 12 weeks in these minor prophets, there's some stories that you're going to go, whoa, wow, God is, you know, God is calling judgment out on sin. He cares a lot about pronouncing where things are wrong, where things aren't the way they should be. And, and, and we're going to see some of the righteousness of God in action in these minor prophets. But we've got to remember who God is at his core. He is all of those things, and he is also this God of grace and mercy. And the point, the reason we have all these prophets is so that he can tell us what he's going to do in his plan of salvation. And so I'm going to explain this more in just a second. But, but God shows the same mercy and grace to everyone in the story. So that takes us to number three, which is God cares. God cares about everyone in the story. God is taking care of Israel in the beginning, right? Even though they're bad and rebellious and they have a wicked king, he's taking care of them. And then we see God show mercy to these uh, pagan sailors. So much so that they end up believing in him and worshiping him uh, as a result. uh, Recognizing him as the true God. God shows kindness several times to Jonah, even though he doesn't deserve it. And then in the end, right, God shows mercy to Nineveh. This terrible place. But guess what? God's plan for salvation has always been showing grace and mercy to those who don't deserve it. Except for Jesus, this world does not have and never has had a person deserving of God's love. Not one. Nobody. No one. And this is the part that Jonah forgets in our story. He thinks, I'm a Jew, I'm from Israel, so that means I have done something to earn God's love. No, 
no, no, no. And what we learn from Jonah, what we see in other places too, like a passage that we, we just read in Isaiah, that God's desire and his plan is to have all people become God's people. It's, it's, it's crazy hearing this Isaiah thing where he says, look, Egypt are going to be my people, and Assyria are going to be my people, and we're all going to worship together with, 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 with his own people. They're all going to be his people. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody is, is, is predicting this. You see, God really loves Judah and Israel. Oh, yes, but he also cares about Phoenician sailors and Ninevite kings and even the cattle of Nineveh too, apparently. God's design, God's masterpiece is so much bigger than we can realize. And so this leads to the fourth thing. You're counting, this is number four. Because God's, God cares about sinners, he wants us to care about sinners too. Because God has shown grace and mercy to people who don't deserve it, he wants us to do the same. Man, this is hard. Jonah makes a shocking statement that we didn't read uh, in the very beginning of chapter 4. After God has said, hey, I'm going to spare them, I'm going to show them mercy, uh, kind of at the beginning of chapter 4, it says, he was angry, verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah is griping at God. He's complaining to God. See, I told you this would happen. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to show them mercy. He didn't want them to have a chance to know about the goodness of God. He doesn't want them to hear this. We used to, I used to think Jonah was afraid of, the, of Nineveh. He's not. He, he confesses, I didn't want to go because I knew you would, you would forgive them. So he doesn't, he's not afraid of them. He hates them. He doesn't want them to have mercy. I wish I could say that I was never like Jonah. But that would be a lie, and I don't want to lie up here. Me, like everyone else in this room, has a group that they hate. There's a group that they hate. And they secretly get a little bit of satisfaction. We'd never say this out loud to people. But they secretly have a little bit of satisfaction knowing those people are lost and they'll never know the forgiveness of Christ. They're so awful. They're such terrible sinners. They don't deserve Jesus. I remember hearing, the first time I ever heard about something like this was when I was a kid. I don't know if you remember this, but supposedly Jeffrey Dahmer found Jesus in prison. And I remember people at my church saying, heck no, nicely. That could, there's no way that could be possible. Right? How dare there be a God that would show forgiveness to somebody like that? And I thought, that's really interesting. There are people that we don't want to have forgiveness. Now, I don't know who your group is. Maybe it's some political liberal group or maybe it's some right-wing extremist group. I don't know. Maybe it's a nationality, a race, some other religion, some, some kind of extremists, right? Some group that celebrates their sin and throws it in your face. We hate them. We hate those groups. 
We don't like to admit it, but we do. And, and the lesson for Jonah and the lesson for all of us is this. We were just like that group that you hate, the group that came to your mind. We were like that in God's mind as enemies. We committed just the same kinds of sins. We were just as terrible as that group. But God, but God, he cares for them. He cares for us, and he made a way. He said, I'm going to fix this by sending a plan of salvation that nobody could see coming. And he died for that group that you can't stand. He died for you and me, who he shouldn't be able to stand us or tolerate us either. For the people that we hate, for the people that frighten us, for the, the, the ones that you know, we see on TV, whoever those people are, the ones we don't think deserve grace and forgiveness and mercy. He sent his son for that. So can I challenge you? I think we're supposed to start praying for those groups. Whatever your group is, maybe that's our challenge. Maybe can you start praying for them? Can you start praying for them? That, that God would show who he is to them. That, that God would work in your hearts that you might have a heart for them different than you do right now. For the people that you don't think deserve the gospel, can you start praying for them? Jonah was a jerk. <laughs> you, you read all these experts on the book, and, and there's really not much redemptive about what he does. He's, he's kind of a jerk through the whole book. But God sent a better Jonah, a better Jonah who was gone for three days and came back. A better Jonah, Jesus, to a world who didn't deserve him. And that's the good news of the gospel, and it's for you, it's for me, and everybody that we hate, and everybody that we think doesn't deserve it, it's for all of us. Let's pray. And Father, we recognize, if we're honest, we think we're better than so many other people. And we're, we're think that we think that we deserved the forgiveness and grace that you sent us, but there's others that don't. Father, would, would you help us to see Jonah and, and how comical his terrible ideas were? And the mistakes that he made, God, can we learn from them? Can we see our own and change? You help us to see the salvation is, is yours. It's from you. And you decide who it goes to. You decide who gets it. And you sent your son so that anybody who hears it and wants it can have it. Whether they deserve it or not. Would you help us to be thankful because we don't deserve it either. See how marvelous this grace is. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.